0: and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the testimony that's recorded for us of how your word spread like wildfire in those early days of Christian faith. Help us to have faith to believe that you're still working even today, that you're changing people's lives, that we can have joy and rejoice in the Word of God. Bless us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't need to tell you this, but football season is almost upon us. Some of you are more excited than kids on Christmas morning, and uh, we all know this, but there's a lot that goes into a football team. There's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. You know, there are there's time spent in the weight room, there's conditioning, there's learning the playbook and figuring out how to read defenses. But for college football, even before that, uh, there's something else that's really important. It's recruiting. Some uh, real die-hard football fans follow recruiting. Some of you probably follow it in an unhealthy way. I'm just going to say that. Uh, you, uh, you know what players have committed and decommitted and recommitted to your favorite school and the schools that you can't stand, the ones that you despise. And coaches and scouts and bloggers and fans, they talk about young people being three-star recruits or four-star recruits or five-star recruits. And there are these measurable factors that they take into effect, like how fast someone can run the 40-yard dash or... How much they could bench press or how many yards or tackles or touchdowns they had in high school or in junior college. Those are measurable things, but when it comes to sports, there's something else. There is another factor. Some call it the X factor. Uh, Some call it uh, something that you just cannot coach. He's a special player. He's a game changer. Those are things that maybe a coach would say to folks on his staff. You can see an assistant coach telling the head coach, look, coach, trust me, we need this guy on our team. Now what is what is the X factor of Christianity? What is that thing that sets Christianity apart from other worldviews, from other uh, views of life, other systems? What's at the center and the heart of the Christian religion? There are so many things that we could talk about, but I think one of the things that sets Christianity apart is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. God's grace in Jesus Christ truly is a profound game-changer for christianity and the bible and the book of acts and this passage in acts 13 talk about the grace of god now god's grace is a word that christians use a lot it's a word that's uh that's used in our culture it's one that's used in the church what does grace mean what is the biblical definition or explanation of grace well there are two aspects to grace the first is not getting what we deserve. When we think about this world, to speak frankly, that's not getting what we deserve in relation to our sin. We deserve punishment and death and hell because of our disobedience to God. And so part of grace is not getting that. But the other aspect of grace is getting what we don't deserve in a good way. Getting Forgiveness of sins and everlasting life and acceptance into God's family. So those two aspects of grace are operative uh, when we think about what the Bible says about grace. So to put it this way, in Christianity we can be taken from the prison house of sin to the courtroom of heaven where we're declared not guilty because of Jesus Christ. And we're not left there, but God takes us to The family room of heaven, we become the daughters and the sons of God. And that's a a glimpse, that's a snapshot at God's grace. This story from Acts 13 is a story about God's grace. It's one of the things that's beautiful about Christianity because this grace reaches across the centuries, it reaches across cultures and continents across all sorts of people's experiences, into their lives, into our lives and our stories. And that's what I want us to think about this morning. The good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ became a man so that he could deliver us from our sins and take us to heaven forever. The love and grace of God demonstrated really is a game changer let's look at the passage together. I want us to look at at three things. First of all, I want us to talk about grace back then. And the first thing I want us to think about is grace, the grace of God that was demonstrated to the Apostle Paul. Uh, This is the first recorded sermon we have in the Bible from the Apostle Paul. And you remember him, you remember his story. He hated Christians. The Bible says that he breathed out lies, he breathed out destruction and murder and threats against the disciples. And in God's way, against all odds, Saul stopped. God stopped Saul in his tracks. He stopped the one that was persecuting him the most and made him a messenger of his grace. So God's grace was demonstrated to to Saul, who became Paul, in, in Acts 13. It, we also see Grace, then, and we see grace in action. We see God's grace on the move. In the first part of Acts chapter 13, there were a group of Christians. They were met together. They were praying. They were fasting. They were worshiping God. And the Holy Spirit set apart Paul and Barnabas to go on this first missionary journey. And Christians had taken the message of God's grace uh, with them as they went to different places, but this is the first dedicated strategic missionary movement of God's people. The message of God's grace is is the most incredible message in the whole world. It's a message that's worth taking across the street and across the world. And so in this passage, we see that they went from uh, Cyprus up to Perga and Pamphylia. And in Perga, that's where John Mark decided it was time for him to go back to Jerusalem. And that that theme will come up again uh, in the Gospels. And then they made their way up uh, to the top left there, to Antioch and Pisidia. That's a different place from where they started, just regular Antioch. But they made it to Antioch City, a place about 700 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And that uh, gives you a sense, we'll look at some more slides as the series goes on, but you can, you can take that down now, otherwise people will just watch the slide. Um, so they went to Antioch and Pisidia, and where, where's the first place they went? Where did the disciples go to start preaching the gospel? They went to the synagogue, and this theme is, is seen over and over again in the book of Acts. They would go first to the synagogue, and a lot of people in this room know this, but Christianity has deep roots in Judaism. And so they went to the synagogue because these were the people that knew the story. They knew the promises. They knew the prophecies about Messiah, about the promised one who would come and deliver God's people. So if you look in your Bibles or or hear me as I read it, um, after the reading of the law, verse 15 of Acts 13 The rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, to Paul and Barnabas. And they said, brothers, if you have any encouragement, any word of encouragement for the people, say it. They must have seen that there were some visiting creatures out uh, in the congregation. And they said, hey, if you have anything you want to say, be our guest. And uh, they threw Paul this softball and he stood up. And he began to preach the gospel. And one of the things that's so beautiful about Paul's sermon here is that he talks about the grace of God from the very beginning. He traces God's mercy and God's grace to his people throughout the Old Testament. So he talks about God's people being slaves in Egypt and how God blessed them even in the face of that slavery. And and he delivered them with an outstretched arm. He delivered them in salvation. And Paul would later use that example of the Exodus to show the greatest deliverance of all time and pointing to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He talks about King David and how all the promises of Messiah, Jesus, came through David and his line. He talks about Abraham in this sermon, their father in the faith, and how God's promises to Abraham were fulfilled. He talks about John the Baptist, who was the forerunner and cousin of Jesus Christ, who made straight the paths of the Lord. He got things ready. And then at, in verses uh, 26 and following, he talks about their recent history. He talks about the fact that even though the Jews should have been the most prepared to receive the message of Jesus Christ and His grace, they missed the boat and ended up actually putting him to death, even though they should have received him. But all of this was part of God's plan, that Jesus rose again from the dead, victorious over sin and death. All along the way, I think the point is that God's grace was demonstrated to his people. There was God's grace then. And what's really interesting is that we see God's grace in their stories and in our stories. Really neat when you look at sermons from the Bible and the way that Jesus interacted with people, the message of His grace and love, it intersected with people's lives. It intersected with where they were. So these folks would have known about what God did. And verse 26 says it like this, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of salvation. This message of salvation has been sent to us and this message was for them. It intersected their lives, but it's also a message that intersects our lives some 2,000 years later. And you may be sitting there thinking, yeah, that's great, Josh, but how could what Paul said 2,000 years ago have anything to do with my life now? Think about the power of God's Word. Think about how passages in God's Word speak into Our lives in our hearts. Think about these words from Jesus Himself. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hear Him say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus saw the crowds as sheep without a shepherd, and He had compassion on them. He said, I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners. To repentance. Hear him from the cross saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that, that's just the beginning. That's just a tip of the iceberg. Re- read the Gospels and the parables and how he healed people and how he loved people. You read the details of the last week of his life. And you'll see in living color, in spectacular detail, I am part of this story. What happened then? means everything for me now. God's grace was demonstrated to his people back then. They needed grace and we need grace. One of the things that we're tempted to do when we read a list about Abraham and David and Moses is to think, man, they were just the, they were the heroes of the faith. They were the, they were the big dogs. They were the studs. And, uh, the reality is they needed God's grace just as much as everyone in this room. Moses killed a man. Abraham lied and said, no, she's not my wife. She's my sister. David committed adultery and murdered the husband of the woman that he committed adultery with. Those folks needed God's grace just as much as we did. One of my favorite verses from the Old Testament is Genesis Fifteen, Verse 6, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was made right with God, not by being incredible, not by being awesome, not by being perfect. He was made right with God because he trusted in God. The message has not changed. It's timeless, it's glorious. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. It was all of grace then But there's also grace now, and I want you to look at verses 37 and 38 if you have your Bible. Paul brings this sermon to a close, and uh, this is what he says in verse 37, verse 38, excuse me. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law. Of Moses. It's the same principle. Same profound message that Jesus preached. That Peter preached. That, that uh, Stephen preached. It's the same message. It's a message of God's grace. And what are some of the aspects? What are some of the parts of that grace now? One of the things that we see that's important is that it's grace by faith. For everyone, verse 39, who believes... Is freed from everything. Faith is a big part of the Christian message. Hebrews 11 tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be moved. But what does it mean? What is biblical faith all about? Well, I think there are a few things that we can think about. First of all, it means more than just believing that God exists. Biblical faith, Christian faith, is more than saying, I know there's a God and I know that he's probably good. Christian biblical faith is resting in Jesus Christ. It's putting our faith in Christ. Here's a, a small example of this. Uh, four years ago, my family and I uh, lived in Acapulco, Mexico for the summer. We worked in an orphanage there, the Casa Hogar Orphanage, and it uh, great summer, one of the best summers of our lives. And uh, we flew to Acapulco at the beginning of the summer. I didn't speak any Spanish. I still don't speak any Spanish. You can ask Jackie. And uh, I didn't really know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know how to communicate, hey, I need to get to the orphanage. And... uh, but we, get, we got there and with my family because Melissa, the PR director of the orphanage, she said that she would meet us. And I really put my family's life in her hands that she would be at the airport to meet us, right? Now, why did I believe her? Well, because Mission to the World has a 40-year-long relationship with that orphanage. And some of my friends had been there, and they had done the same thing. That we were planning to do. I, in short, I trusted her. I believed her. And then she, thankfully, she picked us up from the airport. Um, faith in Christ means that we rest on him alone for for salvation and for the forgiveness of our sins, believing that he did what we couldn't do, that he lived a perfect life and believing that his death on the cross was in our place. That our standing in this world and the world to come is not based on what we have or haven't done it's based on Jesus Christ it's not by works lest anyone should boast. so it's not Jesus plus baptism it's not Jesus plus being a good person it's not Jesus plus great grades or a great job or being healthy or having money or getting married or knowing all the right answers it's faith and trust in Christ Jesus alone You know, one of the questions that obviously comes out of this is he says, for everyone who believes, is this question. Have you entrusted your life to Jesus Christ? Are you resting in him and him alone for your life now and your life to come? That's one of the things about this grace now. It's by faith. Another aspect of God's grace is forgiveness. We see it in verse 38. What does faith in Christ Bring us what was Jesus' life and death and resurrection all about? What was it for? Well, it's one of the greatest needs of all mankind for the forgiveness of our sins. That's really the apex of this whole sermon: the forgiveness of sins. You know, nobody asked about the forgiveness of sins. That's just where Paul went because he knew that we all need that message that through Jesus, verse thirty-eight, through this man, forgiveness of sins. Is, to pro- is proclaimed to you and some folks can get down on Christianity. Why do you have to focus on that negative stuff? Why talk about sin? Well, because the Bible is honest. Sin is a problem that we all have. We all have guilt. We all have shame. We've all broken man's laws and God's laws. We've hurt ourselves and we've hurt others through our thoughts and our actions, not just once but multiple times. Romans 6 says it like this, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So whatever your sins, past, present, future, they can be cleaned, washed away, wiped clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah said it like this, though your sins be of scarlet, They shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Just so we don't think that God's forgiveness is an abstract thing, divorced from life, uh, I got this story from uh, Derek Thomas. He's a pastor in Columbia, South Carolina. And it's a story about a mother and a daughter who lived in a small village in Brazil. When the daughter turned 16, she decided she would go. She'd run away to live the good life in Rio de Janeiro, the big city. And this plays into all of a parent's deepest fears. With little or no money, what would her little girl do? How would she live? How would she survive? After a time, uh, the mother decided to go to Rio to look for her daughter. And this was her plan. The mother took a picture of herself And she went to the local copy store, and she made hundreds and hundreds of copies of this photograph of herself. And she posted it throughout the city in bathrooms and bus stops. And on this picture of herself were these words. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Come home. Maybe you're running away from God this morning. Maybe uh, there are areas in your life where you think things are too broken or too far gone, I'm too messed up. Listen, Jesus Christ forgives sin. It's the heart of the gospel. There is grace for folks now. And there's forgiveness. The third thing that we see about this grace now is seen in verse 39. Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Did you know that Christianity is about freedom? That's counterintuitive to the way a lot of people think about Christianity, isn't it? It's actually counterintuitive to a lot of the ways that we think about Christianity. It's so easy to think. Christianity is a straitjacket. It's a bunch of do's and don'ts that functionally means that I have to give up my life. I guess I'll just sit around and read my Bible, and maybe on the weekends I'll play some board games or something. Um, that sounds really fun. What if being a Christian and living as a Christian was really free? What if it was true freedom to live in and with Jesus Christ? Think about some of the freedom that we can have. Freedom from having to try to run from one thing to the next to be filled, to be satisfied. Freedom to let go of the sins that so easily entangle us. To live in the light of God's presence and in the joy of His love. Freedom from trying to escape our problems by learning how to entrust them to Jesus Christ. Think about the freedom to let, how the gospel, this grace now offers us freedom from the shame and guilt of sexual sin and pornography. From living a life ruled by anger and bitterness and hatred. Freedom from addiction. Freedom from the performance treadmill. Freedom from the lie that says you have to look a certain way or weigh a certain amount in order to be accepted or to be loved. Freedom from anxiety and envy. Look, the freedom of the gospel of Jesus Christ... It, it doesn't just come easily, it doesn't come overnight, it takes practice and training and struggle. It comes through the darkest days of our lives when we think that we can never change, we can never have hope, things will not get better. But by resting and relying on Jesus in the mundane details of life, in the trenches with the battle of our sins, we can find freedom. Freedom from trying to keep all the rules that we make up in order to be okay. Freedom from trying to obey God and follow His law in order to be okay. Freedom to be accepted and loved. And once that's real and and known, God can transform and change us. By Him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So there was grace then, there's grace now. But one of my favorite parts about this interaction is the the, the information, the talk about grace forever. It's pretty amazing. After Paul preaches this sermon, uh, people beg them to come back next Sabbath. Please come back and talk to us more about this. And then they begin to follow the disciples. They're just like this. This group of people that are following them around. Verse 43, after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. What was the message that they told these fledgling, early, new Christians? You begin by grace, but now... Now that you've become a Christian, there's no room for any mistakes. Everything needs to be perfect in your lives. You have to stop being bad and make sure your life is all together all the time. (laughs) No, that's not what they said. To these fledgling, early, young Christians, verse 43, continue in the grace of God. That's what's important. That's the key. That is the X factor for Christianity. And verse 43 could also be translated, expose yourself to the grace of God. you remember the earthquake and the tsunami in Japan several years ago? There was a catastrophic failure. There was catastrophic damage at the Fukushima nuclear facility. And as workers raced to, to repair those damaged nuclear reactors they could only spend minutes working in that environment. Minutes. Because their bodies couldn't take any more of that, um, those high levels of nuclear radiation. What God is telling us here is the opposite. They could only be exposed for minutes. What he's saying to us is that we need to be exposed to the grace of God every day, at every stage, at every level, of our lives. We need our hearts and our minds to be exposed to the grace of God. And This is the terrible lie that we're tempted to believe. It's that we begin by the grace of God and we continue the Christian faith by our hard work. Christians are called to work hard. We're called to fight sin. We're called to pursue righteousness. But that battle has to be waged and fought out of an ever-growing sense of God's love and acceptance of us in Jesus. If we just try to do it ourselves and suck it up and be good people and change, that will lead to burnout. That will lead to people becoming cynical and jaded. And I bet you know some folks who are cynical and jaded about Christianity. And this is one of the ways you get there. You begin by grace and then you try to continue by willpower. We must continue in the grace of God. And as we bask in his love and lean on his promises and continue in that grace, the Holy Spirit will grow in us a desire for his word, and we'll want more and more to be with each other in fellowship, and we we'll want to live and enjoy live with and enjoy that freedom. It comes with Jesus, and and what we see here is there was the next Sabbath, the whole city gathered to hear the word preached. But even then, in the midst of God's word growing, there were people who opposed the message, and they stirred up persecution of Paul and Barnabas. And the Gentiles heard the word and they rejoiced, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. There were wins and there were losses, but there's nothing that can stop the grace and mercy of God. There's nothing that can stop that message going forward. That grace forever is something that's forged in us through great days and through hard days, through wins and through losses, through the days when when we just cannot believe how Awesome, God has been to us, and in the days when we don't want to get out of bed, we need His grace. Continue in the grace of God. So, I don't know where you are this morning. Uh, maybe you've, you've never really heard about God's grace in the past, maybe you've never really heard that God's mercy was extended to His people in the Old Testament and the story of the promised Messiah grew and it found its completion in Jesus Christ and maybe if you think about your past that you're, you're haunted you're uh, you don't want to bring it up, you don't want to think about it maybe there are things that you've done or things others have done to you and you, you just can't go there there is grace for you And your past in Jesus Christ. Maybe your current situation seems impossible. You cannot see how things could change. You feel trapped and stuck and hopeless. There is grace for you now in and through Jesus Christ. What about my future? What about my kids and my parents and our marriage? What about my siblings? Will I have enough money to retire? Will God take care of me in the next days and weeks and months? Will Christianity last? Will I make it to the end? There is grace for you in the future. Continue in that grace. And I'll close with this final statement. All of this is not experienced in a vacuum. One of the greatest ways to experience and have the grace of God is to do what? To share it, to demonstrate it, to extend it, to show it, to receive it, to celebrate the grace of God where? In a community, with a group of people that need it just as much as you do. In the body of Christ, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our families, with the people that wear us out and the people that we love to be around The grace of God truly is the X factor of the kingdom of God. It is the game changer. Let's continue in God's grace. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your mercy, your kindness toward us. We thank you for Jesus, uh, the one who laid down his life for our sins. Help us to live by grace. I pray that if there are those here that have never really experienced your grace in Jesus through salvation, that you would work in their hearts. For those that feel burned out and trapped because they're trying to do it themselves, help them to understand and know what it means to rely on you day in and day out. We need your help. Thank you for this time, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we'll uh, take up an offering to support the work and worship of our church. Thank you.